Greetings, this is Ginger Donnell, producer and creator of Broken Boxes Podcast. This episode, I speak with Marie Watt. Marie is a member of the Seneca Nation and also has German Scott ancestry. Her interdisciplinary work draws from history, biography, Iroquois proto-feminism, and indigenous teachings. In it, she explores the intersection of history, community, and storytelling. Through collaborative actions, she instigates multi-generational and cross-disciplinary conversations that might create a lens and conversation for understanding connectedness to place, one another, and the universe. This broadcast is a conversation that took place between Marie and I in February of 2021 out at Camp Colton during a residency that Marie and Chinupa were in with the Portland-based organization Stella Arts and Culture Foundation. We were tucked into a cedar forest in the Pacific Northwest at Camp Colton and the artists and their families, including me and our kids, um, hung out for a couple of weeks in a pod as the artists worked to create a new piece together. It was a new monumental work for their two-person exhibition titled Each Other. And the piece is like a canine form created out of a steel armature, a collapsible steel armature and bandanas that were stitched with messages sent to the artists from around the world. And a lot of those bandanas actually came from Settlement, which I produced in support of um, over 27 artists that were supposed to go to the UK and we didn't end up going. Um, But this was a great way to bring that community and that intersection into the work that um, Chinoop and I do. And then it was just beautiful to witness him be in like true like evolved collaboration with another social engagement artist and just to get to know Marie and just to have like a really strong base of um, family in a time when we're all so isolated our little pod we had like three families it was um it was sheer of Stella Arts and Culture Foundation and Marie Watt and then our family and we all have kids around the same age so we all came together in this um, beautiful special like natural environment and it was like kind of everything that all of us could need at the time when we were all going through so much personally in our own lives. Um, So anyways the piece each other that they made this canine form Um, is now up at the Denver Art Museum for their exhibition and it will travel over the next year to Emory Art Museum in Atlanta and then to Peabody Essex Museum in Massachusetts. So you can learn more about that through Marie's website or Chinupa's website or the Denver Art Museum website. Um, And yeah, I mean Marie just means so much to our family and I feel like her work is so important for us to pay attention to during this time. And she's like a a woman artist who I really look up to in the way she navigates with protocol and accountability. And um, yeah, I'm just really grateful to share this conversation with you all here. So I hope you enjoy. My name is Marie Watt and I am a citizen of the Seneca Nation. I am from the Turtle Clan and I, I'm one 
um, or our community is one of the six tribes that make up the Haudenosaunee, which mm. is uh, people of the Longhouse. Mm. And can you think of a memory um, in relationship to art or otherwise that is kind of like formed or shaped the way that you navigate the world? Um, something that you pull from to to bring you joy or peace or ease? You know, um, in some ways, I think that my mom was really active in always kind of introducing art-like activities and working with our hands, um, whether that was like making mud pies or working with clay or, um, yeah, painting, um, finger painting first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, it's funny because I think that typically when asked a question like that, I start to think about, oh, what's the visual art practice? But I think that one thing that was really formative was my mom worked in um, Indian education. And uh, one of her um, uh, many roles as an Indian education specialist was um, doing cultural programming. And this was in the urban Indian community of the Pacific Northwest, um, so just outside of Seattle, or I should say in the suburbs. And one of the programs that she did that I honestly actually didn't really enjoy going to because my mom was in charge of it <laughs> was um, attending these like open to the community. Well, actually, that sounds like my practice, but what um, my mom started was, and this was in the 70s, it was a uh, um, multi-generational storytelling circle. And it really started actually just for kids, but then um, young young siblings who weren't yet in school were attending and elders were attending. And then people who were um, community members were also attending these storytelling circles. And one of the things that was really important in these circles is that a lot of people um, sitting in that circle. We'd often meet in the circle and just sit in a, a library actually and just kind of um, just be sitting on the floor. But I think that um, a lot of um, people had moved away from their communities They'd, or they had maybe op been openly adopted out of their communities mm. because of like actually prior to the Indian Child Wel Welfare Act there was this history where Native families and Native communities weren't prioritized to be the first people to actually adopt kids within the Indigenous community. There are, like, there's an entire history of Native um, kids being adopted out of um, tribal communities, which is one of the reasons why now there's the Indian Child Welfare Act. And so one of the things that you had also as a result of the federal relocation policies, you had, there was this wave of people who had been uh, real in a way it, there were incentives to relocate and I don't, and sometimes it wasn't just an incentive I think sometimes it was actually like being forced to relocate um, threatening that the land would be the no longer um, part of the communities and so people relocated to um, city centers and then they didn't have that um, support system and uh, cultural system that was familiar to, to them. 
And so one of my job or one of my mother's jobs then, I guess, or one, one of the things she facilitated was just a place where people could come together mm. and share their stories. But I think some, but oftentimes when we're displaced, then stories aren't passed on in like a normal way. And so I think that while as a teenager, I wasn't a fan of attending those, um, ex <laughs> those the story circles. And it's funny because my dad, I, like I, we've been talking a little bit about memory mm -hmm. um, in our time together. Mm -hmm. And at some point I, in my career, I think I started reframing that memory and attributing like it's so interesting to like think of what I do today and how instructive and foundational that experience mm -hmm. is to the person I am in this moment and even the person I want to become in the future but my dad like he um, keeps it real by saying, hey, you used to not like going to those programs because there was a period where I was just like, and then I like did this. And it was so great. Uh, yeah. So um, but it's interesting because I think that that was a really important, um, a very important experience. And uh, and I also think that then uh, one of the really important art forms that I was exposed to is like is storytelling mm -hmm. and gathering in community and gathering in community with um, not just Seneca people, but as a person who grew up in the suburbs of the Pacific Northwest, it was like meeting people from all kinds of native communities. And, um, and so that was different than the experience of going to the Cattaraugus Reservation, which is where my mom grew up and where I have many aunts and uncles and my grandparents, um, for, um, have now passed on, but, you know, they were also, you know, part of, um, my life in different ways too, but like geographically separated because we're on different coasts. Yeah. It's interesting how storytelling and like the way that communities gather to share story and to like build new history together is not seen as art often. And I feel like that's something really beautiful about the practice you do. Um, and I think that it is really informed by, I didn't know that about your mom. And I'm like, oh my God, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> that you would uh, weave that into the way that you engage in art as a practice. Is, yeah. um, because whether or not we like it when we're kids, it informs us, right? <laughs> and so can you talk a little bit about why you do what you do, your artistic practice, like what fuels it, what, what keeps you going, what keeps you in, in the game of making art as a way to make your life? I, uh, realize, and I, I think that I have arrived to this just after making work for, you know, 20 years, but I think that I'm really interested in how, um, the act of making, and creativity is connective mm. and how it connects me culturally to other Seneca people, to other Haudenosaunee people, to um, other indigenous people and just to like people. Mm -hmm. Like I think, and, and I also really celebrate our differences. So I'm not, this isn't me going into Kumbaya and like just kind of like, <laughs> let's all, 
I think that it's really important to celebrate our differences. And I think that there's a lot, like there's a long way we have to go to understand and respect our differences. Mm -hmm. And then deep down, um, and maybe not so deep, I think like when I host these open to the community sewing circles, I like to say I set the table mm. for people to just come as they are. And I and I think that there's the opportunity to like just find those little bits where our stories intersect. Or maybe they don't even, inter I don't even know that they have to intersect, but there's something that like in somebody else's story that you can hold on to and um, have empathy for or um, just be touched and moved by. Like, I think even just being touched by somebody's story is like actually evidence of connecting, yeah. right? It's not yeah. that like we have the same experience. It's that like, wow, like what your dad said <laughs> about giggling critics. <laughs> yes. I love that. And I just like love, like, yeah, like it's so great listening to other people's stories and I I grow when yeah. I listen to other people's stories do you think that the, like if if that part was taken away if the storytelling and the the social collaboration aspect was removed from your practice would do you think you'd still have the same amount of joy out of creating it feels so important and like like such an anchoring point I'm curious just like as a random question like do you think you'd still want to practice as an artist if that was removed or not able to be I think I'd struggle yeah, yeah. I think it would be really really hard I mean I definitely I I do make some work that's not necessarily connected but I honestly it's really hard for me to disconnect that I think that it's all um at some point it all gets kind of woven together. So mm. yeah, that's like a really interesting question because I think the West, oh, kind of Western art, art, the, what is, I don't know if it's a Western art, it, artist model is, is the artist kind of toiling away in their studio yeah. and, and, and then hanging or presenting the results in a gallery. And I definitely feel like in my practice, what ends up in an exhibition space, that's almost just scratches the surface mm -hmm. of like the relationship building and the storytelling that happens. And in many ways, like the objects, the cloth, the material, the wood, the iron, like mm -hmm. they are witnesses and hold that story in them, right? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's really interesting to think about the material as a collaborator, too. And yeah. I love, I, I've noticed, like, a lot of indigenous artists kind of hold that um, ethos or that ideology that they're in collaboration with the actual materials, you know? And I, I don't know enough non-indigenous or non-POC artists to know if that's just a universal, like, way of responding to being an artist, but I don't believe so. <laughs> I yeah. think it's very specific <laughs> to being raised in cultural practices that are holistic. Yeah. And so it's really interesting to me that even beyond collaborating with people, like like really honoring the collaboration with the material seems like it's important to you. And so during COVID times, the pandemic, yeah. like social collaboration is really limited or you've mm -hmm. had to like access it in different ways. And I also know that 
as an artist, it tends to be that there's projects like years out. So you're like in the middle of what you put into play like a couple years ago. So how are you navigating social collaboration in COVID? Is it easy because of the trajectory of your career or are you finding struggle in that space? I think um, one of the things I appreciate about this moment is I was doing a fair amount of traveling before COVID and I actually am enjoying like being hunkered down in my studio and being with my family and our pets. So that part of it, I really feel like I want to hold on to. And then in regards to studio projects, I feel like I'm figuring out how to collaborate given this new context. And mm -hmm. while I prefer meeting in the same, in a shared space with people and having that first person exchange, I am interested in, in what can happen when you send out an invite to people to participate in a sewing circle. Mm. Um, I can send items out, or in the case of this collaboration that I'm doing with Chinupa Hanska Luger, mm. I'm able to... Uh, Which like, is why we're yeah. here together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We should sitting just say that. Like, I was just like, instead of saying, just Chinupa, which you could just... We could just say Chinupa, but I wasn't sure if everybody just, like, if he's like a regular figure, like, so I just, like, call it, like, call By it default. Out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, one of the things that... Um, I mean, in some ways, I feel like I feel really taken care of in this moment because of this residency program that we're on, hosted by C3, mm -hmm. um, now Stello mm -hmm. Arts and Culture Foundation, uh, and the fact that Chinupa and I are able to prepare for this two-person show that really explores how our collaborative processes and that um, is also showcasing something that we're making together. And I think at first there was this like, I, I don't know if panic is quite the right word because I think that <laughs> everybody was sort of, you know, freaking out maybe when we were in lockdown. So it was like, okay, we're gonna like figure out how to solve this. I think that's like one thing with artists is that like, we're used to like the ground underneath us shifting and things changing. <laughs> so I think just like you figure out like how you're going to roll mm -hmm. with the situation. Mm -hmm. And I'm, um, I think that it's been so far, the experience has been really positive. And I guess like in some ways I feel like there's continuity mm -hmm. in the studio practice because things have shifted in how I might go about collaborating, but I'm still able to collaborate with others. And mm -hmm. part of that has to do with institutions like Stello mm -hmm. uh, supporting us in this moment to be together. And so I, it's not something that it's not something that could be done alone. It's mm. like actually working because there's like a community of support to make it happen. That's pretty ironic, right? The yeah. isolation <laughs> factor actually calls for deeper community connection. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really amazing about 
this residency is just that like our families are here together mm -hmm. and um yeah. and it's a uh, moment where we've gotten to know one another deeper and our kids have gotten to know one another deeper and again like I think of the piece that we're creating and how like these woods this forest that's around us and the water that's running by in the creek and our our kids and the goats <laughs> and ducks and chickens like and the all the people who help make this place like function like it all is sort of imprinting um on the work but like beyond that like on me like i just feel like it's um it is this um like good medicine it's just mm. like really uh something that i'm so grateful to have this time with like time with you and time yeah. with with other people in a time when we're really not allowed that right yeah like straight up not allowed everything yeah. is zoom zoom calls and zoom meetings and I, I just remember how excited our kids were after we took our third COVID test yes, yes. Yes, <laughs> and quarantine and practice all the protocols right. to be together and be in community again. It, it has felt really special. Yeah. <laughs> like to like be able to hug, like to ask for a hug or yeah. just hug freely, yes. you know, whereas <laughs> like, I feel like, I think that's, one of the things I've missed mm -hmm. most about this m moment that is the pandemic is just not to like be able to interact through like touch mm -hmm. and um, and being sharing the same physical space. Like screens really don't do it for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. And especially with your practice, like yeah. the sewing circles and the gatherings are very tactile and like you're close to people you're talking laughing sharing tea or coffee and yeah. story and yeah. all of that happening on zoom is a great alternative but it's it's just so um removing the humanity of it yeah and i think like when you talk about like the like touch of fabric or like the smells that are in a space like i like instantly think oh yeah like getting together it's like allowing yourself to experience all your senses not that you're thinking about that in that moment but like when you compare it to zoom like a zoom experience you're yeah. definitely like able to have this tactile kinesthetic auditory moment and there's like silent the silences are really beautiful and the shuffling of material and and like listening to people's stories like further down the table and then like you know like talking to your neighbor mm. and and like just ha bringing together a multi-generational community like the sewing circles i host are open to all ages and it's across and people come from different disciplines and i think sharing that space is really important one of the things that i really appreciate about the each other sculpture the canine is that as we're just in the heart of this the sweet space of like picking up each bandana and putting it on the body of the canine and i feel like you're having this i'm able to have a conversation with like the community mm. and so like the person isn't here but there this bandana is and it's like and every piece of cloth feels a little different and it hangs a little different and it says something different and there's different skill levels there are people who are um punk rocks 
you know, punk rock kind of have a punk, <laughs> I, will, I will say there are people who have more of a punk rock aesthetic and they're like, you know, other people who are probably like grandmothers, you know, <laughs> who have like done a project in their sewing room and I just, mm -hmm. or drawing from the resources of their, their sewing kit mm -hmm. and baskets. And I, so I love seeing that and it's like kind of nice to be here and to actually be able to emote and feel like there's a community that can hear me because <laughs> I'm just doing it with Chinupa and anybody else who's walking by but it's like it's kind of I will say it's almost um sad that that the experience that I'm having can't be amplified like shared. amplified and shared mm. uh, more. And I think like if there were sewing circles that where we were all working together, that would have, I would have had, I would have experienced this moment a little earlier in the process oh, if see. we had like mm -hmm. sewing circles. Yeah. Um, there would have been empathy yeah. like, that built within you with the people making yeah. the work. So now it's like kind of coming, it's like flooding in. <laughs> wow. That's a radical new yeah. way of experiencing <laughs> yeah. the process. Yeah. And I, it really is. And it's like also pretty interesting to be like set up in a way like Snoop and I were literally set up by the curator John Lukovic and mm -hmm. we were familiar with one another we had met through the Native Arts and Cultures Foundation but very briefly and so to like have this experience of getting to know an artist and finding finding this way of working um, that is complementary mm -hmm. and um, where there's trust and um, where you feel like you're innovating together mm -hmm. and doing something that we probably couldn't have done alone. Like, I think that that, um, in this moment feels like a real gift. Yeah. And how is it working with, not to like throw Chnupa under the bus because <laughs> he's not here to yeah. talk, but I mean, as a, as a woman artist, who's a very much like kind of vocal as a feminist, proto-feminist, yeah. like, yeah. um, what is it like? collaborating with a cis hetero man um, and how has that experience been for you and is this a new experience for you it is um it is a new experience <laughs> <laughs> and uh i think it's been great i mean i think that chinupa is he is in touch with <laughs> he's in touch with his something inner, else. He's in, yeah, something else, and his his inner feminist. So yeah, like he yeah. is really like respectful, and you know mm -hmm. he, um, you know, yeah, I know he'd be like rolling his eyes at me if he said this or whatever. But like, you know, it's like he he love he loves women. Like yeah, he loves yeah. his mother, and yeah. he loves you deeply. Like mm -hmm. he always is like giving you props for all like the cool things you do mm. like in your own work and also um with like the family and then like how um do you also support him as an artist and I think like uh he's he's been really great to yeah to work with. I think that um that's nice yeah. because, I mean, him aside, like, you don't always get the opportunity to work with a male artist, especially nowadays. I feel like there's a pairing that happens where they're right. like, feminist woman with feminist woman, queer right. artists over here. Right. And that's what I liked about the pairing was you both have such different perspectives. But when you come together, 
it's really apparent that you all are very similar in your approach. Yeah. If we give each other a chance, right? We, right. We can learn that. So that's nice to hear. And would you, would you say that you are growing as an artist in the fact that you can look at things differently? Do you feel like this was, is an informative experience to like your practice as how it will go on? Yeah. I mean, I always hope that like, Anytime I do a new project that I will grow, like that I'm pushing myself in a way that will help me grow mm-hmm. in both the way I use materials, but also in um, this, like learning new stories or the stories I want to tell. Yeah. Um, and I think in this project, I am really have become interested in just like what. Um, this working with steel mm, can do yeah. and also just like we started this project with thinking a lot about making a sculpture that was going to be a canine we knew that at, but we didn't necessarily know how we were going to go about building it mm-hmm. but one of the um, entry points for the conversation was thinking about tents and thinking about things that like collapse and that can like, that we can carry with us and that like even migrate. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I really like how this sculpture accomplishes that, that it like on one hand can inhabit and takes like take up space. And I like say that so positive. Like I say that thinking like, it's like a thousand people taking up space, right? Like every hand that contributed, like mm-hmm. a bunch of people taking up space together in this yes. one um, expression that's like multi-layered. So uh, like, a, uh, like I'm so curious, as you know, we're just like in the midst of like finally putting this um, skin or this like coverlet or hot, like this hide mm-hmm. on the wolf. And so I am really um excited to see um it in this new form but i think it also is a form well not i think this the one thing that's so exciting is that this form um is like a like a coyote or a trickster it is going to take different shapes Mm. in different locations Mm. uh its body um can and head can adjust in different ways and i think that that makes it um, unique to each institution and site. I, I mean, I've read uh, in the writing that you and Chinupa developed yeah. for this project about it being an ephemeral monument to like empathy. And I think that that's so important, especially because right now it feels like monuments are getting dismantled and we're like actively like disengaging from colonial pathways and so creating a monument that's taken thousands of hands that two artists have created together in complete collaboration it's not I mean witnessing the act of collaboration that you all have done like it feels like the truest form of collaborating you both have put in your input and your time and your handiwork into this sculpture in such a unified way and it is it's it's like a radical um new monument but it's ephemeral so it's respecting the land as well yeah yeah and it's ephemeral also like it's funny like i tend to think of 
Is ephemerality a word? <laughs> I don't think it is. But is it ephemeralness? Ephemorality? <laughs> is this a morality? <laughs> uh, we can Google it later. Yeah, we can Google it later. It is funny regardless. I'm like, I'm known for making up new words, and now it's like officially It's very like... indigenous of you. <laughs> Indigeneity. <laughs> Well, I think that one thing that's so great too is that we like anticipate that more and more people will continue to contribute to it mm. as it um, goes to different um, venues. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting to think of ephemera, ephemera, ephemerality, <laughs> ephemeralness, ephemeralness. Oh my god! <laughs> no. Uh, that it's it, interesting to think that it will continue to be added to mm. and like for some reason i sometimes think of something that's ephemeral as something like disappearing yeah and I, so i think it's interesting that like um that things can be added to it but one thing that that word also conjures for me is that like in handling each bandana as it is getting layered on this canine it um they get kind of covered and um and they become part of this like dense community of bandanas and so that also is in some ways like an ephemeral mm -hmm. quality that it becomes sort of so entwined and entangled with the others that mm -hmm. it's individuality is hard to separate from separate from all of the other fragments yeah and i mean that goes to the title of the piece and the show each other i right. think that's really beautiful yeah yeah i like that <laughs> it's it, ephemeral in nature <laughs> yes <laughs> but yes. additive as well well and it's like seeds right yeah. or like mm -hmm. it's something that grows it's interesting like ha like thinking of of plants because mm -hmm. I'm like looking out of the tree or out of, I'm looking out of the window and I am like seeing these cedar mm -hmm. trees and uh, and like thinking oh like they drop seeds and then like new seed seeds seedlings you know start yeah. and um, one thing that I suspect might happen in this process is people as people see each other they're maybe more inclination to, there might be more people who want to participate because they've seen it. Like sometimes it's hard to understand when a call goes out to participate in something. Yeah. Um, it's hard to understand whether like you might be curious, but you might not follow through on participating, but then you see the thing and you're like, Oh, like I, like I get it. And I like want to contribute. Yeah. Um, because we can see ourselves as part of a larger story. Mm -hmm. and, and is that is that something you found with like um, the the mother piece and other pieces that you've done? Have you have they been additive or have they... I no that those pieces have not been um, as additive. They haven't been additive in nature. I'm trying to think if I've done anything additive. I mean, I feel like the blanket story mm -hmm. uh, columns. I think that that's like an example of something where people see the result. They might observe a call mm -hmm. to participate and 
then they might see the resulting sculpture. And then there's this like, oh, like, first of all, there's like that understanding of like one's own story attached to a particular blanket and this understanding of the significance of this object that we sort of take for granted, but we're constantly imprinting upon Mm. and then realizing why that's so special. Yeah. And, you know, I actually just learned about the whole sky skyscraper or is, I mean, the, the, the blanket stories that have the big steel pillar driven through them. I just kind of read a little bit about that and my mind was blown. Like I didn't know the story behind that. So can you explain really fast that series? Well, are you talking about Iroquois Skywalkers, or yes. are you talking about Skywoman? <laughs> Iroquois Skywalker, the the the, the indigenous um, skyscraper builders. Yes. So, um, in our community, there and actually in um, like within the Haudenosaunee community, there are uh, people who uh, have, we have a history of people working in the, um, I'm like, is it the iron industry? Like there's, well, in the steel work, Mm -hmm. in this, that are steel workers by, by profession. Mm -hmm. And um, in the fifties, there were so many uh, Iroquois and, and primarily like Mohawk iron workers in Manhattan, helping build skyscrapers and bridges that in the Borum, well, what is now Borum Hill and what used to be like uh, the Gowanus uh, neighborhood of Brooklyn, there were so many iron, uh, Iroquois iron workers and their families living there that um, there was even a uh, church that did a, a mass in the Mohawk language. Oh, wow. And one thing that was interesting for me in a period where my family during 2009, when uh, there was the recession. My husband was offered a job in New York and we were both self-employed. And, and so he took one for the team yeah. and we moved to New York city. Uh, we, and we actually landed in Brooklyn and, uh, and that's when I realized that I, the community, I was like in the Cobble Hill neighborhood and I, I felt like, wow, I was so meant to land here because like right next to where I was living was also this like place that had historically had this like big, like or significant uh, Iroquois community, and so um, the one of the things that I well in our community we refer to our iron workers as Skywalkers, and as a kid who saw like the very first like Star Wars the first run of Star Wars in the movie theater. I think I love it when like words have double meanings and like, and I felt very cool and I still feel (laughs) cool to this day that, um, you know, that there's this like Skywalkers that are part of the Star Wars pop culture and and then our history and that like intersection. Mm. And I like think like when I went moving to, um, New York, I felt like the conifers of the Pacific Northwest were sort of replaced by like the scaffolding oh, wow. and, and these like iconic buildings, um, skyscrapers in New York City. So um, that series uh, reflects a little bit on that. But one, th- I also think something that's very interesting, and now I don't know the exact number, but like it, one of some of the long, like the 
um, the traditional house for Iroquois people are these um, longhouses. Mm -hmm. And like some of them like were so long that they almost are similar to the earlier like skyscrapers, right? Like, so it's so wow. interesting of thinking like of a community occupying a longhouse and then all of a sudden that space kind of shifting and becoming um, vertical. vertical. Wow. Yeah. That is so I like, I mean, for me, that's like, I was like, oh, like it's so interesting because I, I actually was surprised by how much I enjoyed New York. Like, I really love that city. And mm. I, but I think, I guess, like, in my head, I would have thought of New York as being, like, overwhelming and big and cold and unfriendly and, you know, treeless, right? But, like, actually, now, like, having lived in this city, I think of people as being friendly mm -hmm. and and because people have their routines yeah and so you start to like the more you see somebody then you start like you pick up a conversation or you mm -hmm. sit on your stoop and you like meet other people so even though it's so I think I in my head I thought that it wouldn't be a friendly place but I think in some ways the density does make it really friendly and yeah. there's these places where because you're like we've lived in a small like apartment like then you go outside frequently in order to like get out of that small space so you see community really regularly actually and if you have kids then you go to the school playground and and everybody within a certain radius of that school like of that school all their kids I mean all the friends are within a certain kind of like circumference. Yeah. And then um, if you want to get out of your house, you might go to the playground or to a park, which they actually have beautiful parks, like just like mm. really like comfortable parks, parks that are made for kids and playing and, and I don't know, just watching people or watching just <laughs> yeah. like sitting around being you know? not in the skyscrapers yeah being yeah they like have exactly <laughs> it's like I feel like it was like such a positive experience and I like New York because it there's just people from all over the world there yeah you know like yeah. I think if you if you haven't traveled a lot and even if you have traveled a lot like you just you there's, it's vibrant because of its diversity. Mm -hmm. It's vibrant because there's so many smells coming off the street, and some of them are great, and some of them are kind of like, you know, bodily, and some of them are, you know, that's a good description. <laughs> some of them are stale, mm -hmm. but and some of them are just like sweet, you know. And yeah. I think like to like be in a place where your senses are always like. Uh, or there's a constancy to it's always changing in mm -hmm. New York but I it was so it's so different from how I grew up that mm -hmm. I think that I it was just something that I totally enjoy mm, and it's probably shifted your life perspective in general I mean that seems like such a strong guiding point of like expanding yeah. the way you think about it being in relationship to other humans yeah it probably has. I would like have to give it more thought. But this guy, I mean, obviously it did from the sense of the skyscraper Skywalker work, right? Because yeah. it definitely like is work that came out of being there. And I think like the one thing I was really interested in is like what is the, that sky, that 
sky space and mm. what is our interest in occupying that space and why is that pro- like where is that okay and where is that problematic right oh, and yeah. I think of like what's happening in the environment right now and I think that we often um, we see global warming when we have snowstorm 2020 yeah but I think that we also look past it because it's not something it's it moves just at this like slow enough space mm-hmm. like we know from from reading and we know from science that it's happening mm-hmm. but anyway like I, it's that sky space is also a space that I hope that um, we're mindful of and that we honor and respect as as well yeah yeah I think that I think that human beings can get some god complex yeah. going on really quickly yeah. especially when they start occupying the in-between space and like doing things that are unnatural it we can really quickly become interested in how much we can like um like colonize space yeah yeah (laughs) it's like such an alluring space it's mythical and Mm -hmm. magic and Mm -hmm. or yeah and it's a space full of wonder Mm -hmm. um but i do think that uh we harm it too. Gotta, yeah. We gotta keep ourselves in check. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so, um, how I usually like wrapping up the interview is kind of having a little bit of dialogue around like courage and bravery and vulnerability, you know, and all those kind of things. <laughs> I stuck my tongue out at her. <laughs> because, um, a lot of, like, when I first started this podcast, granted, this is like six years later and mm-hmm. I'm, reformatting it and you're the first person I've interviewed in like a year (laughs) so thank you Marie and um I a lot of youth have listened to this podcast I've gotten emails and letters Mm -hmm. from like kids on the res or people just like who aren't indigenous who are rural or you know lower income and I know that there's a lot of like suicide and really Mm -hmm. hard things happening in a lot of rural communities. And I think hearing vulnerable, unscripted like stories by people who are holding space in the art world is helpful to be like, oh, you're you're like me, like we're people existing. So is there, what is is kind of a toolkit that you could provide on like how to come combat or show up to your vulnerability and like how to be brave and courageous in a, as a woman artist, you know, as somebody who has to go into those spaces. I love the idea of a toolkit. Mm. And I like the idea of like, I, I sometimes feel like I'm not good at speaking off the cuff of something like I, well, first of all, I just want to say what an important toolkit. And I Mm. like, Mm. I think it's really really important and I I sometimes wonder why I followed this path of being an artist because I think that you're just I feel vulnerable all the time or Mm. like pretty frequently and yeah my emotions just like I I wish I had like a you would think I have like a really good, healthy self-esteem on my shoulders, but I sometimes feel like I really don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why I'm sharing that, but um, 
So what? Well, it's to, vulnerable. Yeah, it is. Like, right. You asked the question. So I guess, like, as a person who does often feel vulnerable. So this is like where and like and this is like where you start crying. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess like one thing I would say is just like, I think it's really, and I think I'm like actually struggle like struggle with this too. But I think it's really important that you have to love yourself mm. in order to really love other people. And um, and also I think you have to know you're loved because I think sometimes we like forget that we're loved and and um and some people have grown up surrounded by it and some people probably don't know what it is like to be um as loved as fully as they deserve to mm -hmm. be and i guess like i would say to um give yourself um a break you oh, know that's important <laughs> we do yeah. need to remember because i think it's really hard to you, if you're a person who has like puts a lot of pressure on yourself to be the person you want to be or be be something you feel like you're not in the moment I guess like I think giving yourself a break is really important and you know finding that like the things that do make you happy or cheer up I mean I I actually think like I think friendships are really important, but I think sometimes it's easy to feel like you don't have a friend too, right? I mean, maybe that's like sometimes part, like, I don't know, there's so many different ways we can be, feel vulnerable. Yeah. And especially in a moment like we're going through right now, I actually think young people in particular like to be isolated from peers. Uh, it's funny, I feel like when I was younger, maybe I was more aware of like, well, all I'm going to say is I think, like, even just having one great friend is, like, all the friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and remembering that people are there. And yeah. they, are, they are waiting to be there for us. Yeah. We let them. Yeah. And I, and I think asking, like, I mean, almost like just your question, like, sh like asking for, I think it's hard to, like, open up and be vulnerable. So, like, mm -hmm. asking, I mean, just allowing yourself that with somebody that you trust I think trust is like a huge thing mm -hmm. yeah and it doesn't feel like the art world always nurtures that it feels like there's like this real toxic individualism that can take place you know and I think that being able to be strong enough to be vulnerable in those spaces yeah. can allow them to check themselves as far as institutions and museum spaces and curators or whatever yeah. they are it's like i'm a human yeah i might be a dope artist <laughs> <laughs> but i'm a human yeah <laughs> treat me accordingly yeah. yeah so setting boundaries you know yeah setting boundaries yeah, I mean, in the arts. So I guess I was just like went straight to the human stuff. But like in the arts, it's all the same. <laughs> I know. It's, really <laughs> it's real. It's yeah. all intertwined. Yeah. Toolkit. <laughs> I love. I feel like I'm like gonna write write you back and think yeah. about what that toolkit is. But I'm like, yeah, what is the toolkit? I mean, I think part of it is for all of us, like figuring out what our toolkit is. Mm -hmm. Whether it's like a hot bath, <laughs> seriously, or like a good book or chill music or food oh <laughs> or God, yes. you know like figuring out just what like um 
can kind of lift you up. I, it's funny. I like, I actually feel like for me, I really do enjoy like talking with other people. I think for me, that's like a really big help, but I realize that like when we're at our lowest of lows and oftentimes I think the hardest part is like not knowing exactly how you got there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then just like realizing, I think like even that idea of talking to somebody can be hard, but I mm-hmm. um, do think like just opening up, I think is really important because the truth of the matter is, is that I think a, a lot of people experience vulnerability and a lot of people, you know, struggle with, different things. And, and so there shouldn't be fear about sharing Yeah, because I think that, um, we're, we're flawed. Humans are just flawed, (laughs) flawed, flawed. So I think like really not like being true to your, I think being true to yourself is also really important. And I, I mean, I actually think that that when, challenge in this period where we have the internet as a tool and we have social media and we have YouTube and we have all these ways to um, compare ourselves to other people, other artists. Mm -hmm. We have things that are constantly being marketed toward us and things that were like, not, I don't know, like, like, I think we need to understand like when to cut ourselves off from some of that stuff too. Yeah. I think that that actually is, can, can be pretty toxic. Yeah. I don't know if we were evolved enough to handle that much pressure as human beings, like on a base level. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's a lot of pressure and pressure to be empathetic about the whole world, you know, in, in like five seconds, like it, it can feel like overwhelming to the point where we're not able to even like step outside our doors. So I, I think that's a great, right. Great kind of seed of knowledge. Yeah. And I think part of it is just like, and I think this is hard, but like not comparing yourself to other people and just being true to the person you want to become. And Mm. I feel like I, I struggle with that. You know, it's like, I think that one thing we've talked about a little bit is just this idea of like, at what cost do you make one decision over another? And how, how do you choose to spend your time? Mm. And so I guess that's just something else to think about. Yeah. And I love it because it is your time. Like so, so often we try to do things because we think it will be the best move for something else or someone else. But it's like right. you have to practice that self-care because right. that will ultimately benefit everybody. Right. Because you are being authentic to yourself. And that's such a good a good piece for the toolkit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just yes. like so important. And I also loved what you said about building your own toolkit. Yeah. Like we can sit here and hear Marie's insights, but what from that actually serves you who's listening? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's, there, there may be one, one little ember within mm-hmm. what you said that ignites something that can help somebody else build their toolkit for like self-love and worth and mm-hmm. value. And 
um, and be okay with being vulnerable. Like mm-hmm. it, I, I feel like we, like we take can take vulnerable as such a bad word and such right. a, like a, like a space of shame. But I don't think it has to be. And I love what you said about just like what is it, what is it you need, right? And nurture that is so important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that may, I mean, it's interesting because I think that as female artists and as or cis gendered artists mm-hmm. and um, actually I'm making some assumptions there but yeah. I will <laughs> as a cis gendered artist I'm uh, a post, <laughs> post queer cis gendered <laughs> semi identifying artist right now I love that I love that um, uh, I guess I think that um, there's cultural, like, I think sometimes we inherit cultural or gendered ways of, um, being in the world mm. and, and checking in with ourselves too about why we do things the way we do. And it, is it a choice that we're doing because it's just like what was expected of us and then, and now we're modeling it for those around us or is it because like, this is how I want to spend my time. And, wow. and so I guess think, I think that that's also something that's really important to think about. And I, and I do think that we all struggle with that. I yeah. think that, that like we are all raised and we have, different stories and some behaviors are gendered and passed on. Yeah. And, um, where do we choose to break the cycle if it's not (laughs) something that's right for us? And it's not saying that it's not, that it's wrong either. I guess that's like the important thing. It's like it, but it is about being true to yourself so you can be true to other people and, Mm-hmm. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it is like if you are honoring what your needs are in relationship to being in community, right. by default, you are honoring your community because you're you're in a like a trust exercise. Yeah. <laughs> like those trust fall things. Yeah, like, exactly. I promise I'll catch you <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm present. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not checking my phone. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. And thank you for sharing all that. And I know like, I wish there was more space for us as human beings who are like practicing our art and our life, like in a public space as artists do, I wish there was more space for us to be able to be vulnerable without it being exotified. Like I, yeah. I feel like especially like women and I've noticed with the indigenous and um, other people of color who are artists, it's like, as soon as they're vulnerable, like it's exploited right. by the white art industry or primarily white in art industry. And so I'm excited to see my peers and people I admire be able to be vulnerable and share that so it inspires the youth and it's not yes. immediately commodified. Yeah. And it needs to be it needs to be out in the world because when we see ourselves in the world, then like when but when I see other indigenous people, artists in the world, then it tells me that like so much, so much is possible, right? Like, I mean, I think part of it is like creating this visibility where there's been invisibility. And I feel like 
the community is there and the people are there, but but it hasn't been amplified mm. as much as it could and should be. And I think that it's really like, I don't know. I just think of role, I guess for myself, I feel like people have modeled things that are possible, mm. you know, mm -hmm. like just that it's possible to be an artist. Yeah. I like um, had, I had a fellowship, but I was attached with this role model who taught at the community college. So I like became a community oh. college instructor, you know, and it's yeah. like, if I didn't, if I, I had never thought about teaching at a community college. And then yeah. all of a sudden I had this role model who was like this community college instructor. And, and it, and it totally teaching in that space, which I did for almost a decade, like it really affirmed everything I believed in. Like, I really love that space that is the community college. I think that it's like a really, um, because you had a mentor that because kind of I showed had a you. mentor that showed showed me that space, and I guess I I just think that we need to see more um, people of color, LGBTQ two spirited folks. Like we need to like see ourselves in the world not just for like the community's health, but like for future generations, right? Like, mm -hmm. to, and like to say that it's possible to say that it's to say that like that you're loved or to say that you to confirm your mm. like, um, I mean, I, it shouldn't come down to that, like to confirm your it's not to confirm your importance. I'm just trying to figure out how to say this, but yeah, I, I know what you mean though. It means to like, know that you're part of a continuum. Like yeah. you, you, you've seen what is possible and you can take that a step further. Yeah. And whatever you want to do with it, it's the pathway, like yeah. a trail yeah. or a, yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean, a thread. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a thread. And I'm not trying, I, I just, um, you know, it's funny, circling back to my mom, like one thing that yeah. she used to do, she had this thing called Groundhog Job Shadow Day. What? She made her, I know, it's insane. I think my mom was a closeted performance artist. She would like make herself costumes for different things. Um, she's been a gooey duck and she's been an ape. But like for uh, uh, Groundhog Job Shadow Day, she uh, created herself a job, uh, groundhog costume. <laughs> Amazing. And her, but her whole thing was just like partnering young people with indigenous professionals. Mm. So they had an opportunity to see all these things that different professionals do. Mm. And she did it. I think she did it. This program was really focused on like maybe middle schoolers because she learned by working with older students that like, so many ideas about where like paths they might want to go on were like maybe all, like in some ways already shaped, which seems insane for yeah. like, like as a mother of a high schooler, but <laughs> who actually is pretty like, she, I actually I do have to say she like really knows what she wants to do. I did not like, mm. that is like a big difference between mm. um, myself and Max, but yeah, she used to introduce people to these or her students to these role models. And I guess I just think that's like really valid. And I think that in a way like that is what's so important about this podcast mm -hmm. is that broken boxes is introducing the world to 
different voices who oftentimes have, you know, been on the periphery. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important to know that the community is like bigger than we might have thought. Or, yeah. And that there's there's mm -hmm. people in the world who think differently than us, but who also help open up the world to us, right? Who mm -hmm. make us grow because of their unique exp experience, because of their point of view. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. Thank you for saying that. And I agree. I think in general, just sharing stories and talking story, as we yeah. say, yeah. <laughs> um, it is really important. And I think that it, it, it gets archived too in this mm -hmm. way that, um, I'm excited to see like in 20 years what this archive will do to support, you know, like yeah. kids who are too young to listen <laughs> to it right now. Yeah. Um, but as we wrap up, the final thing that I used to ask people is kind of like your soapbox moment. If you could say one thing to the world, what would it be? But I think I'd like to change that. And you're my, you're my guinea pig. You're, you're my groundhog shadow <laughs> or whatever. I love that. Um, but I want you to make a request. So I want you to do a call to create a memory. So mm. if you could, on the platform that people have listened to this from all over the world, like what, what call to action would you like to request to anyone who's listened? What would you like the, the public to do? It could be like maybe research-based or create a memory by going out in nature, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. is there something you'd like to call Call to fellow humans to do. <laughs> Here's your chance. Oh. <laughs> it's silent. So yeah. <laughs> no, actually, like, I honestly, so the first thing that came to mind was like, oh, like, get under a blanket with somebody and just like enjoy that time. And it could mm. be like in nature or it could be like on a couch or it could be in bed, but like, just like, you know, think like, just, I don't know, invite somebody under a blanket with you. Yes. Oh my God. But I that almost it. like sounds like too, I'm like, that sounds too close to my, um, art. So I was like thinking about what another call could be to, um, well, that's beautiful. I mean, we all need some cuddles right now. Yes, we do. We do indeed. Well, maybe I'll, I'll leave it at, at that. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a great invitation. And to create a memory, too. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. And um, I think that's the podcast. <laughs> Yahweh. Thank you, Ginger. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun. And I'm really excited to share this. So. Mariwa, everybody. <laughs> Ginger, tell everyone. <laughs> I catch a fly in my hand. My